Thanks, everyone. Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a thing you should clap for. Speaking of Bibles, if you have a Bible, please get that out. Uh, we are going to be uh, in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we got a couple weeks left in the book of Philippians, and uh, we're going to move on to uh, a new series probably here in the next couple of weeks. Um, you will also notice if you're using the YouVersion Bible app, you will notice that um, it's not there. So that was my fault because Courtney's on vacation and Courtney takes care of that. And I, huh? I did. It's not there. Sorry, you have to use a paper Bible. Um, also, there's a plug for a paper Bible. If you own a paper Bible, I would strongly encourage you to bring it when you attend church. Um, whether that's on a Wednesday night here or a Sunday morning, I would encourage you just to, to crack open the pages. There's something different about um, opening up a book and reading what the text is. It's also, there's something different about reading your Bible on a phone that you also scroll TikTok and Instagram like endlessly for hours and hours. Um, it's different when you're trying to read the Bible on the same device that you watch YouTube videos and you do all of these different consuming things. And there's something different about setting our phone down, opening up a paper Bible, um, and it also helps us re recognize and realize that what we're reading is within the bigger picture of Scripture. Like it's not just one verse. It's not just a couple, you know, verses that you see on your screen. It's a part of an entire book. It's, entire, it's, a, it's a part of like the New Testament or the Old Testament, and it just helps us remember that context is key. Um, so that's my plug for a paper Bible. If you don't have a paper Bible and you need one, um, please talk to me. I would love to purchase you a uh, paper Bible. Um, tonight's also an exciting night because um, we are doing mixed small groups tonight. So I don't know if you were here about a year ago, but um, a year ago we lied to you and said we were going to do mixed small groups on a semi-regular basis, and we didn't. Uh, what? It was about a year ago, yeah, and uh, we haven't done it, and it's not because we didn't like it or it didn't go well. It was just one of those things that kind of just fell off our radar, and we forgot about it, and one of you lovely students shared with Kaylee that, hey, we should do mixed small groups. I don't know who that was, but thank you, and so here we are doing mixed small groups tonight. We'll explain more of that uh, at the end of the sermon, but like I said, uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 9. So as you are turning there, flipping there, I want you to stand with me and Reagan. Give Reagan a hand as she comes to read. As she comes to read our text in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Whatever. That's not what it means. That's not the type of whatever that we are talking about. Like every single week, if you were to, we talk about this, we talk about how if you were to read 
our passage a few different times. Maybe if you were to read it in a different translation with a little bit different word usage, here's a summary that you might come up with. Center your mind around what is morally and spiritually excellent and put those things into practice. So this is kind of going to frame the the sermon for tonight. Um, But this main thought brings up a question. And here's this question, where does, one, uh, where does one gather what is morally or spiritually excellent? This is a really valid question. We live in a time, I feel like we've always lived in a time where we're searching for the answer to this. Where do we find what is morally and spiritually excellent? Often what people deem as moral or immoral is from their own beliefs about a particular issue or topic that has been shaped by their life experience. And we know this to be uh, primarily um, accurate by the wide range of lenses through which we see things as moral or immoral. And we could extend this to even a broader kind of scope and look at this lens of how do we determine what is right or wrong. So for example, uh, to one person, cheating on a test may not be seen as wrong. You're like, I didn't copy it exactly. You know, I only looked at their homework and then I kind of copied it. You know, some people that's like, that's totally fine. Other people, that's a a huge no-no. To another person, being committed to one husband or wife may limit a person's, quote, options. And so they're like, I don't either want to get married or if I am in a marriage relationship, it doesn't really matter. We can see the people that we want to see because they see it as limited. And those viewpoints are often shaped by their experience and the way that they see the world. To one person, gossiping about another person may not be a huge deal. To another person, taking a person's life is okay if they did something to deserve it. So you can see from these different examples, the way that you have experienced life, the lens with which you look at life determines a lot of what you see as moral or immoral or right or wrong. And oftentimes we can see that if we're left to our own thoughts um, and conclusions with no anchor to keep us in a spot, we don't really seem aligned on anything. We don't see, seem aligned on what is right or, or wrong. And even within the context of the church, um, there are different things to different people that are seen as right or wrong. And so the question becomes this, how do we know what is right, what is true, what is noble or excellent, as Paul says in our text. And so since we are a church that believes in Jesus, we believe that the Bible is authoritative, that is inspired word of God, we look to scripture to answer these questions. We look to the Bible, we pull it apart and asking ourselves, what does this text say about morality or immorality? What does this text say about what is right or what is wrong. And we look to the Bible to help us understand um, how God has designed certain things to be done. And so in our text tonight, Paul is giving one of his final encouragements before he begins to wrap this letter up. If you've been with us the last 10 weeks, um, you might remember kind of some of the themes that have been weaved through the book of Philippians. There's joy, there's togetherness, there's unity. Um, And his encouragement here um, is for them to think about certain things and to put those certain things into practice. So he instructs them to think about whatever is true noble, right, pure, lovely, 
admirable, and then he kind of summarizes those six things with thinking about what is excellent or praiseworthy. And he says in verse 9, what happens when you do those things? He says, the God of peace will be with you. Remember, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, I'm sure most of us in this room have been asked um, to do something, and then promptly after we were asked to do something, um, we asked the question, why? You ask, maybe this is your parents, your guardians, your grandparents, your teacher. Maybe they ask you to do something, and you ask the question, why do I need to do whatever you ask me to do? Um, this is a really common thing, and the, I think the reason why we do this is, is it's almost like we're creating this like lightning-fast pros and cons list of what our parents or whoever is asking us to do. Okay, so what are the benefits? If I do this, what are the consequences? Um, because if we do it, it's probably good. If we choose not to do it, what are the negative consequences? And am I willing to deal with the negative consequences to be able to do whatever I want? Um, interestingly enough, we are quick to choose something that is not good for us in the long term, and we will choose something that um, is maybe feels good in the moment, but we know isn't beneficial in the long term. We often accept our consequences later to find pleasure in the here and now. So I want you to answer this question. I want to, I want to ask you a question. What are things that we choose to do even though we know it will not produce good in the long term? So this is a question that I want you to maybe answer out loud. What? Math. math. So doing your math homework. Yes, exactly. What are some other things that you choose to do even though we know? Oh, no. What? No, math is good. It's a little reverse psychology on me. Oh, my gosh. I forgot my own question. Yeah, dude. What? Procrastinating. Yes. My guy. Yeah, procrastination feels so good in the moment. But we all know that that project and that assignment still needs to happen. Yeah, Anna. What? Explain that for me. Explain that for me. Yeah, all of us. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. I love that you recognize that. That's good. Yes. Feeling sorry for yourself? Okay, explain. What do you mean? No, that's good. No, that's good. Maybe one more. What are things that you know uh, will not produce good in the long term, but you choose to do anyways? Yeah, Emily. What? Okay, why do you think that's a negative in the long term? You can lose friendships, hurts people. Those are, those are all super, super valid things. Um, and it's interesting how we, we know a lot of those things. We know that this, this choice is not going to produce something good in the long term, but it's a rhythm for most of us. You know, we choose um, the, the here and now. And oftentimes that carries over into our life with Jesus. 
We can hear a sermon, maybe preached on a Wednesday. Maybe we can hear a sermon preached on a Sunday or whatever the case may be. Maybe you're reading your Bible and you feel convicted about some whatever you're reading. Maybe you participate in a small group discussion, yet we choose instant gratification um, instead of putting in the work that will produce fruit in the long term. And I bring this up because the list of things that Paul um, is encouraging the Philippian Christians to think about and put into action. If you were to look at that list, um, Emma, could you put that list back up there? When you look at this list, you don't think, wow, those are really fun. Like, oh, man, I just really want to think about what is noble. Like, I want to think about what is lovely and admirable and right. And none of those things really sound like fun. Like, they don't think about things, they don't sound like things that we want to do in the moment. But here's the thing. Um, because of our sinful nature, in a way, we are almost at war, like, with this list, Often our minds want to do what we want to do instead of what either God wants or what's best for those around us. And like I said, these things that Paul laid out may not be the most fun things, but they are a direct result of a person living within the peace of God. So to better understand what's going on, we need to um, look back to verses 6 and 7. Because remember a few moments ago when I said when we look at a paper Bible, we can see that this passage is within the context of a bigger passage. So what Paul is talking about, he's referencing the peace that he was talking about in verses 4 through 7. Um, Kaylee preached about this last week and how um, God invites us to hand over our anxiousness to him through prayer. He says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So he's saying in times of anxiousness, Paul says to have a heart of thanksgiving, of rejoicing, and to give those things to God through prayer and petitioning for God to work in your life. He goes on in verse 7. He says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, which goes beyond, stretches far beyond our understanding. He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so he's saying that when, when, when you give those thoughts and feelings to God, there is a peace that comes over you that does not make sense in our natural mind. It does not make sense in our own thinking. It does not make sense that you can have peace in the midst of stressful situations. It doesn't make sense that you can have peace in the midst of decisions or bad news. We cannot fully understand that, but God's peace is more significant than our situation. And this peace of God causes something to change inside of you. John Piper said this about um, Philippians 4, 8 through 9. It says, the peace of God does not produce passive minds or passive bodies. We are to think uh, what are we to think when our minds are ruled by the peace of God? And thinking in this context is um, not just thinking with our minds. As John Piper says, it causes actions to follow. J.A. Mortier, how do you say his name? He says, to ponder, to give proper weight and value to, and to allow the res uh, resultant appraisal to influence the way life is to be lived. So he's saying that these things that we are to think about are not just to stay stagnant in our minds. They are to cause us to, to act differently. He says we are to think about what is true, 
What does that mean? We are to dwell on and seek after what is true and not entertain what is untrue. Our lives are to be guided by truth. We are to think about what is noble or what is honorable. We are to think about things that are respectable and deserve honor. We must fill our minds with songs and movies and people and articles or books that are worthy of our time. There are so many things that we ingest as people that are counterproductive to our faith and our growth in Jesus. I want to make sure that the things that we're filling our minds with um, encourage and push us towards being more like Christ. Paul goes on. He says, we are to think about what is right or whatever is just. So the original Greek word um, that has been translated as right um, could also be translated as just. And the context of this word would be in our relationship with others. Um, In a few different places in this letter, Paul instructs the church to live a life that considers others' needs. M. Anderson said this, All parties involve that which fulfills all obligations and debts. Thinking right thoughts steers one away from quarrels and dissensions to think of the needs and rights of the other party. And we see this playing out in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, and also in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. So thinking about what is just and right is thinking about how you can serve others and how you can lift them up. So he goes on to say, he says, to think about what is pure. Purity in this context is is really, really broad. He's not necessarily talking about one specific thing. Um, It encompasses everything from sexual purity to your pure of, of thoughts, your morality, your ethics, and so on and so forth. And the Bible teaches in so many different places about how um, our minds are full of darkness, James chapter 3, verse 17. Um, And it's out of our heart and it's out of our mind that our actions follow. And so he's talking about how we are to meditate on the pure word of God. Psalm 119, verse 9, he says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? He says, by living according to your word. So to think about what is pure, we must, as 2 Corinthians 10 says, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He goes on, we are to think about what is lovely. We are to think about and dwell on things that, as one commentator puts it, inspire us to love one another. 1 Corinthians 13 um, lays out how a Christian is to love one another and how this is different than we usually operate. He goes on. We are, I'm almost done. We are to think about what is admirable. We are to think about what is respectable. We are to think about ways that people respect us. We are to do commendable things. And this is not to say that all things that people see as admirable or all things that people commend are to be done by the Christian. But Paul is saying that you don't need to live an offensive life. Don't live a life that causes tension because of your offensive personality. He's saying submit those things to the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to change those things inside of you, to think about and desire those things that are admirable and respectable. Um, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, to live at peace with everyone. So, 
Now that we've walked through this list, Paul now transitions into a broad summary of this list and brings a conclusion to how um, a Christian lives with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. He says in the second half of verse 8 and 9, he says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, he says to think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is saying that when you think on, when you dwell on, and when you make these things a part of your life, these things are excellent, they are praiseworthy, and you will continue to live within the peace of God. He's also saying that uh, whatever these Philippian Christians have learned heard or seen in him. In verse 9, he says, put those things into practice. We talked a couple weeks ago about how Paul's talking about, hey, follow our example as we are also pursuing Christ. Um, And we've said this before in this series, but it it needs to be repeated. Paul is not being prideful um, in this statement. He's not claiming, I'm perfect, I have arrived, I am full of righteousness, and so you need to follow my example. Um, He's not claiming perfection, but what he is claiming is a consistent fellowship with God that is an example of how to live a life that is devoted to God and is full of his peace. And for us today, we are to surround ourselves with people who model to us how to faithfully serve God, and that will in turn affect the way that you live um, your life. So to close this sermon, I want you to consider, strongly consider you to think about what shapes and forms your thoughts. Maybe you've never um, uh, like taken a moment to think about those things. Think about the things that you ingest. What are the things that shape your thoughts and your mind or in your actions? What do you give the most time to influence your thought life? The news won't bring peace oftentimes. I don't know if you guys watch the news very often, but it doesn't bring peace. Oftentimes it brings dissension, it brings tension, and it brings chaos. Social media often doesn't bring peace, but anxiousness and stress due to comparison. Netflix, YouTube, or Disney Plus only give a momentary sense of escape, but it never heals what is happening in reality. It will never bring long-term peace to your chaos. What are the things and who are the people you give the most time and attention to? So what we're gonna do in a couple minutes is we're gonna take about two two minutes and you're gonna like maybe close your eyes Nothing weird's gonna happen. Close your eyes. There's gonna be some quiet music playing in the background and I want you to reflect on these questions. What do you give the most time to? What informs your thought life? What informs your actions as an individual? What are the things and who are the people you give the most time and attention to? And I want you to ask God to help you to determine if those things are true the things are right, pure, and bring peace. And maybe you need to repent on what 
um, has been consuming your mind and what you have allowed to determine your actions. Maybe ask God to help you to choose the things that Paul lays out in Philippians 4. So we're, like I said, our music's already playing. We're going to take about two minutes. And I want you to, to, um, to answer this question. And I want you to do whatever you need to do to be, get alone with yourself and alone with God. We're not going to take lots of time to do this. This isn't a time to be elbowing your neighbor or talking to your neighbor or texting that person. I want you to just honestly maybe put your head down or close your eyes, whatever will help you focus to ask this question. What do you give the most time to influence your thought life? And are those things true, right, pure, noble, and honorable? We'll say two minutes, and then um, I'll give us our big idea and uh, release us into small groups. Big idea. What you consume and think about determines your level of peace. What you consume and what you think about determines your level of peace. So we're going to go into our small groups, and we're going to discuss just a couple questions to help us um, internalize this and bring some practicality to our lives. Let's sit down.